Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World. Welcome to another solo edition of FNO InsureTech. I'm Rob Beller. I am with you by myself today because my co-host, Lee Boyd, is off being the moderator of a fireside chat at the OnRamp conference put on by Generator. Uh, they asked Lee to come be a moderator uh, on the main stage during their conference. And so he's on his way up north to attend that. And we're happy and excited for him. And thank you to OnRamp for including us in your conference. Today, we have a company that we had on once before, several years ago, and that is Voom Insurance. We have Tomer Kashi coming to us today from Tel Aviv. And for the first time, for the first time, I <laughs> we had somebody call our podcast the OG of InsureTech Podcasts. The OG, that's right. We are the OG InsureTech Podcast, which is a mantle that we'll gladly wear, particularly if you are O like I am. So thanks, Tomer, for coming up with that label. We'll gladly wear it. And... Voom is an, an incredible MGA, six-year-old company that ensures mobility. They started in the drone space, moved on to motorcycles, ATVs, um, and other fun things that have very specific usages and have ideas and plans to keep going in this crazy world of mobility. And they have a terrific handle on it. And so we will, without further ado, get right to our interview with Tomer Kashi, CEO and co-founder of Voom. Hey, everybody. We are here today. I'm here by myself because my co-host, Lee Boyd, is at the Generator Conference on ramp today as a moderator of a fireside chat. So that's very exciting, but way more exciting than that is our guest. We have Tomer Kashi with us all the way from Tel Aviv. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> oh, gosh, I wish I wish that was the truth. But, uh, but seriously, <laughs> thank you. It's very, very true. It, it's great to have you on. You are actually, as you know, the second Voomer is that what you guys call yourself, boomers? Yeah, well, baby boomers in our company. Baby boomers, that's right. You, uh, <laughs> you're the second one we've had on. You, uh, we had your your co-founder Ori on like two years ago. Yeah, that's that's correct. And I actually listened to the episode earlier this morning, and he did such a good job. Uh, I have like um, a very high bow to pass now. Uh huh. Well, you know. Um, we're two years down the road, so uh, b both of us, I think, will be better at it than uh, than than we were back then. But um, 
So I see you because we do video when we do recording. And I'm looking through the window behind you of this magnificent day in Tel Aviv. Correct? Is that what I'm what I'm seeing? Yes, the weather is amazing. And, you know, it's a pity that, you know, we are too talking instead of, you know, just like I could go to the beach now. And the weather is amazing. It looks like a beach day. Let's just touch real quick on Tel Aviv. Is it hard? Your main market is the United States. Is that correct? For Voom Insurance? Yes, yes, yes. So we have R&D in Tel Aviv and the go-to market is, you know, in America. That is. Okay. Is that a challenging thing, running your business that way? You know, it's a very interesting question because, you know, for us, we don't even think about it. It's like completely natural, uh, regardless of if it's like in InsurTech, you know, the other like Israeli-based InsurTech companies such as Lemonade and Next and Hippo, again, the same R&D in Israel and go-to market in North America. But same applies also in, um, you know, other, you know, cybersecurity, uh, uh, fintech, healthcare. All of us are so used to, you know, work in U.S. hours and to have the R&D in Tel Aviv and the go-to-market target market in North America that, you know, for us, it just feels very, very natural. Is So do you adjust your work schedule in Israel to kind of coincide with American hours? It's correct. And actually, I would claim that my work-life balance is much better than a lot of other entrepreneurs that I know that actually live in the U.S. So I'm, you know, as father of two amazing daughters, I'm, you know, with them every morning, take them to kindergarten. I have like, you know, a full morning for myself. Then I work with the R&D during the day. I come back in the afternoon again to be with my kids because I really appreciate this time. And then, you know, 9 p.m. when everybody goes to sleep, I can, you know, have another shift and, and work, you know, with uh, a tighter, our head of sales that lives in Sacramento. So for me, it's like, you know, the, the best balance between, you know, um, really working hard, but also being with your family, um, much easier than if I were living in, in America. Well, um, certainly the splash that Israel has made in the insurtech world is profound. Um, uh, and and you you were telling me before we got started today that you work in a particular area of Tel Aviv that's dense with technology. T- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's like very, very interesting because from an insurtech perspective, you would think, okay, like, you know, the Israeli insurtech ecosystem is, is thriving and is, you know, very, very big. But in like from the Israeli ecosystem perspective, insurtech actually is not a very, very big thing. We have like so many other, you know, segments that are, you know, even much bigger. So, you know, the, the, the cybersecurity uh, segment in Israel, we have, you know, hundreds uh, of, of startups now, you know, very, very successful ones, uh, uh, fintech in general, healthcare, AI in general. But yes, since like Israel is like a kind of a startup nation, uh, you know, there are a lot of startups in each and every segment. Uh, and, you know, I must say that, you know, it really helps. The network really helps. There is a cluster of, you know, VCs and other founders and specialized banks and, you know, friends that can help you along the way. You know, Michael Porter, the professor of, uh, of strategy talks about it, you know, about, like the, the clusters uh, that helps each other. So you have it like in the, in the movies industry where you have like in Hollywood, like the producers and directors and actors, everybody lives in the same place. 
same applies in, in startup ecosystems. So Tel Aviv is a hub, New York is a hub, uh, the Bay Area is a hub. Um, so you know, it's, it's, it's a great area to be in as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, uh, very exciting. And uh, tremendous educational infrastructure in the country and the infrastructure of the military and its contribution to technology is profound, right? So a lot of people like yourself spend time in the military and get specific exposure and education and training as a result of that. So, you know, I I can tell you a little bit about my personal background and then, you know, I think it could be relevant for like the broader perspective of, you know, Israel as, as something that's, you know, helped me and, and, you know, what actually today became boom. So uh, I met my co-founder Ori around 15 years ago when we were both drafted to the, to the Israeli army. So like in Israel, army is mandatory as, and it's basically acts as a melting pot. Uh, so people from all around the country, from all kinds of backgrounds are going to the same place. Uh, and all of us are getting the same, you know, exams to be accepted to, you know, this and that. Yeah. Um, and both of us was, were a part of a very, I would say like prestigious, uh, elite academic program, uh, in the army. I think, I think that the, U.S. equivalent is something between like MIT engineering, uh, West Point military academy and, uh, Harvard MD, MBA all rolled into, into one. So that's, that's where I met, you know, Ori. This is where also, you know, both of us studied uh, computer science and physics for three years. And we were later positioned in, you know, R and D leadership roles, uh, in the intelligence corp. Um, and I think that something, you know, we were doing cybersecurity. Okay. So, you know, nothing really that, you know, relates directly into InsureTech. Uh, but, you know, the network that you get there is so vast. That's one thing. And you, you work with such talented people from, you know, very, very smart, very, very ambitious. And then you see people around you, you know, literally people that uh, uh, sat in the same room next to me, then founding startups and, you know, some of them were, you know, uh, and exited in hundreds of millions of dollars, um, literally in the, in the same room. And, and you, you know, you think to yourself, okay, these are very, very smart people, but they are still, you know, human beings, right? Maybe I can, you know, do the same. And obviously it's very naive because you don't see how hard it is, but you're, you know, naive enough, enough to give it a try. If it wasn't for naivete, so much in our world, in our history wouldn't happen. If people knew better, they wouldn't do it. And so it's a good thing. You know, so you're very, very naively just, you know, released from the army and okay, let's, let's start a startup. This is what everybody does. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously both Ori and I, <clears throat> we thought about doing something in the cybersecurity space because, you know, this is what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, it was kind of boring. Like everybody's already doing something in cyber. Uh, and then we, you know, we, we looked at drones. Drones were, you know, very emerging uh, back then and like very, very exciting. So we thought to ourselves, okay, maybe, maybe we can do something with cyber and drones. And we actually, you know, both of us tried to like hack some drones and we even like did it like quite successfully. Uh, and then, you know, while, you know, um, thinking about it and talking with people in the industry, we actually understood that, you know, one of the largest problems in the drone world or the drone ecosystem as a whole is actually safety and insurance. Uh, so quite quickly, we, you know, we, 
um, partnered with some, you know, insurance executives that, you know, really taught us, taught us everything. You know, I didn't know what's, what's the difference between an actuary to an underwriter until several years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. And we <laughs> eventually created, you know, potentially the, you know, the, the leading commercial drone insurance provider in North America today, uh, Skywatch. And from there, we actually like evolved into other insurance, you know, uh, niches that we thought could be relevant as well. Uh, but it's like the, you know, maybe like a, a broader story that I could, uh, that I could touch, but just to, to give like a closer to that, the people that you meet in the early days in the army really uh, give you the, the courage to say, okay, let's found something. Let's create something by yourself. And you know, eventually over time it works. Mm -hmm. So when you started, you, I'm sure you guys considered yourselves technologists. H how long is, how old is Voom? So Voom today is, I think, like uh, more than six years old okay. already. So now that you've been in the space for six years, I bet you consider yourself kind of an insurance guy too, don't you? Yeah, I think, you know, we're like, I would say like brown belt in each and every uh, segment of the company from, you know, actuarial science to underwriting, to claims, to, you know, sales and marketing and customer service. Mm -hmm. And obviously also, you know, data analytics and, and um, engineering in, in general. Uh, uh -huh. So I think that what helped us in the core in the beginning is that we built, you know, a born in the cloud policy administration system and a very strong and robust risk analytics engine that is able to take telematics data, external data, and provide some kind of a safety scoring for mobility usage, but it's not enough. Okay. If you get, you know, this like black box of safety scoring to an insurance company, they just look at you and don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's imperative on us or on every startup to, to really create an end to end solution. Uh, cause the technology is not enough. It's really like the, interdisciplinary problem that, you know, uh, uh, needs to, needs to work and all of the value needs to work perfectly. And, and so let's take one, we have to take one second and tell the audience, even though, uh, we've had Ori on, it's been a few years, let's just take a second and set the table of what Voom is, what you guys ensure, what you do. And because then from there, I want to go on and ask particular questions about that. So tell us, let's start with, What's Zoom? What do you guys do? That's a very good idea, Rob. Context is important. It's important. So Boom, in essence, is an insurtech MGA providing the next generation of insurance products for mobility. Specifically, we target specialty segments in the mobility world that are underserved by major carriers. Just a few examples. So one of our branches, Boom and Fly, or Skywatch is uh, our branch for the aviation space where we provide commercial drone insurance, uh, light aircraft insurance in a digital uh, manner and also uh, on a usage-based insurance basis. Another segment that we have, another pillar, is what we call Boom and Ride, which is today focusing on motorcycles, ATVs, UTVs. By itself, it's a you know, very, very large market. Uh, and this is where we are providing, well, like the only paper mile insurance provider for this segment. 
And we're also now working on another pillar called Women Drive uh, that I think that uh, later this year we'll be able to announce and elaborate more on. How does somebody get like your motorcycle insurance? Do they, how do they find you? How are you distributed? So for example, you know, um, motorcycle insurance is like sold online on womeninsurance.com. But, you know, we're like, we sell our strengths, not in the marketing side, but actually in like the product creation side. Because um, I think a lot of insurance and insurance companies has already like disrupted and we can call it like insurance 1.0, like disrupted the way that people are consuming insurance. Okay. Yes. And we're yes. also doing it quite well, but it's not our specialty. What we're also trying to do is to disrupt the way that like the insurance product is actually rated. Okay. Uh, so in this case, usage-based insurance, um, 70% of the riders are riding that on average. Well, the only paper mile insurance solution. So for 70% of the riders, this is a very, very appealing product. Okay. And you know, from a lot of surveys, we found something very, very trivial. Customers really care about price. So <laughs> shocking. <laughs> um, shocking. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, insurance in their eyes, it's a commodity. They want to get like, they don't want to compromise on coverage, but for the same coverage, they want to get it like in a, in a cheaper price. So, as an insurance company that doesn't use data, you have two options. One is to lower your rates and just lose money, so high loss ratio. Other is just, you know, not to gain any, any market share. So like what we're trying to do, okay, let's get data that others are blind to. And now we can, you know, just like segment much better and give good prices for a large portion of the customers without losing money. Now, once you have the foundation, then distribution is, you know, it's like, it's natural. Okay. You can go and direct. We have, uh, hundreds of, uh, brokers that we work with. Uh, we, we think that, you know, brokers are here to stay. Uh, yes. we were, we were working, you know, with, uh, embedded partnerships in the dealership world. Uh, we work with, uh, influencers just to raise the awareness of the product. Um, so, you know, we work in an omni-channel way. Our customer is not the distribution channel partner. Our customers are the end customers. We see ourselves as a B2C company, but we definitely rely on, on channels. And it's true uh, in motorcycles, it's true in what we do in the aviation space. And, you know, it's, it's forever. Is distribution in your particular formula for that, is that something that's evolved as you've been in the market longer and have greater insight into how the market works? Or did you set a plan at the beginning and that's where you are today? I'm particularly interested in embedded. It's a very good question. I think, you know, specifically embedded, you know, it's like the, the, the most common term, uh, maybe, you know, putting aside generative AI, that's like the most common term in insurance that everybody in every, you know, panel talks about. Right. Sure. Um, and I think that. You know, just having an API to embed your insurance solution is just not enough. Okay. Like the, it's like the moat is very, very low and almost everybody can do it. So yes, we do embedded insurance, but many others are doing it as well. Yeah. I think that you need to focus on the fundamentals. So one is to really create a product that is relevant 
problem bad insurance. Our product is just like good in general. Okay. And two also, you know, in, in our case, choose markets are, you know, relevant and actually like also less competitive. So, you know, embedded insurance in, in, in car insurance, like everybody will go after GM and will try to embed their insurance solution into, into the OEM. But in many other segments, the, the competition is lower. You are much more differentiated. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it makes much more sense. So tell me if I'm, if I'm right here, I would think that let's talk about motorcycle for a minute. So like my son-in-law, as an example, has a motorcycle. Six days a week, it sits in his garage. Because he has a vehicle, he has a car that he needs for work and he uses his car for work. And he rides his motorcycle when he's on his off time, um, when, when he has the opportunity and the time uh, and the space to ride his motorcycle. So I would think that that your insight about pay per mile motorcycle insurance would be actually brilliant because I would think that the percentage of people that use their motorcycle as their primary vehicle is, is relatively low. And so a lot of motorcycles spend a lot of time in the garage. Is, is that correct? That's, that's very correct. So the variance in the usage in motorcycles is actually much more than in cars. Cars, you know, on average are using to commute from one place to another. And in motorcycles as, you know, as a recreational vehicle, there is huge variance and like the lowest tier of model of like usage in terms of miles for motorcyclists could be actually like five times safer than the few ones that have a lot of time to ride. Uh, and it could be again, just like people that, you know, that have a lot of time to ride, uh, or actually the other way around people that don't have a lot of time to ride our customer segment or people that ride a lot, but actually have more than one motorcycle. You can't ride all of them at once. Okay. It's another secret that I can tell you. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and you know, in many places in America, you can't ride eight months a year. Okay. So the only like four, you know, the, the, the riding season is like four months or so. Mm -hmm. Now what, what happened is that people have created their own usage-based insurance by calling the broker to cancel the insurance during the winter time. It's like streaming for entertainment. You, you, you add it when you need it and then you cancel it when you're, when your show is over. Yeah. But the, the problem in insurance is that, you know, one, you know, it's mandatory to have insurance Two, Sometimes you do have a good day. So you don't need to, you know, turn on and turn off coverage every time. Three, you know, you still need some layer of insurance to protect your bike. You know, th there could be a fire right. in your garage, God forbid. Um, so, it's, you know, it's just not a fit for, for purpose solution. Um, right. And with Voom, when we just like pay by the mile, you're covered all year long. You're not compromising on your coverage, but you're paying by the mile. It makes much more sense. And, you know, it's, think about it. You know, there are like 20 or so companies that are doing paper mile in auto. And in motorcycles, ATVs and UTVs, where it's like much more needed, well, the only ones. And I would think in particular with ATVs that are very recreationally focused. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's people that use their ATVs on a daily basis for whatever their particular application may be. But generally speaking, 
No, right? It sits on a trailer. You pull it somewhere. You use it. And then it goes back on the trailer, right? You know, think about the snowmobile. The snowmobile. <laughs> would, would you ride a snowmobile in Germany? <laughs> so in that case, do, I, like you said about the fire in the garage, so, so you pay per mile or you pay per usage, but there has to be some kind of uh, minimum that is always charged to co- for, for that kind of coverage. Correct? Tell us how it works. Yeah, that's correct. So when you go to the Boom website, um, you get a quote, and the quote is divided into two parts. Um, the fixed portion that you need to pay regardless of the amount of usage, and the paper mile portion. So if you're not riding at all, you're paying you know, only the fixed portion that approximately would be you know, 30-40% of what you would have paid with a traditional carrier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything else is mileage based. So if you're not riding at all, you could save up to 60% on your premium. Mm-hmm. If you're riding on average, you would be rated like an average rider. Uh, and if you're riding more, you would pay more. So this way, in this case, you, you would rather, just, you know, work with another carrier. We're, we're not good for everyone, but the reason, because we're not good for everyone, we're very, very good for a large portion of the, of the customers. And you guys do drones and aircraft is kind of where you started. Is that correct? That, that's correct. That's uh-huh. correct. You know, Rob, you, you would think about, you know, what, what's the connection between all of these, you know, segments? Because like, mm-hmm. theoretically speaking, you know, like a, a light aircraft, you know, pilot is not exactly the same demographic of, of, of a motorcyclist. Could be, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, there are like many commonalities. One, from a risk perspective, since we're usage-based insurance providers, uh, we're targeting things that are high risk and episodic usage. So everything that is like either like gig economy related or like weekend related are things that we're good at. Because again, we're using a new source of data that others are not using in order to uh, rate the policy much better. So if it's like high risk, usually the premium is high. So it makes sense to, you know, to do something better in order to do some fancy differentiation and two episodic. So you mm-hmm. can really differentiate it between, between people that are using it a lot and people that are not. Um, so that's like from a risk perspective, these are like the niches that we go after. Um, and two, always we go after um, segments that we think are underserved by the major carriers and uh, you know new, new sources of data that others are blind to that we can utilize for better underwriting. Do you offer a product for recreational vehicles, travel trailers and such? At the moment, I mean, not. Okay. At the moment, uh, not. Uh, but that would fit in the idea, episodic uh, usage. That, yeah, that would fit in the idea, yeah. Things exactly. that tend to sit most of the time. Yeah, you know, people that uh, are, you know, that a lot of people are being overcharged for a lucky few. Well, and, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, if you're with a, a major incumbent insurer, you have your cars with them, you have your home with them, and you call your agent and you say, I want to add my motorcycle or my RV or my ATV. It's probably going to have an 
an outsized negative economic impact, meaning it's going to raise your rates because they have to consider it. They don't consider it episodically, perhaps, right? They don't look at it through the lens that you are looking at it, which, which quite frankly, is more accurate. Like you said, or, or like I said, my son's motorcycle sits in his garage six days a week. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even get turned on six days a week. So, um, but, th- but th- I don't know that that's how a large incumbent insurer would rate it. And, and so, so clearly you, your perspective would be advantageous economically for the consumer. Exactly. And then, you know, you would think, okay, why don't like a large incumbent, a large insurer would, you know, get into these markets and, you know, they're already like playing in these markets. Okay. They have, you sure. know, they're like traditional motorcycle insurance that they are, uh, some of them are, you know, doing a very, very good job in distribution of these products. But then again, to most of them are competing on the, um, how easy it is to buy the product and on, on bundling and on things that are, you know, I would say like the, the packaging of the product rather than the actual, uh, risk, uh, and actual, you know, usage of data for better, for better underwriting. And the reason, the reason for it is, you know, there are amazing, very, very smart and talented people in, in the large insurance companies. However, innovation in insurance is hard and product innovation is probably the toughest of problems because it's very interdisciplinary. You need the actuaries involved and you need the technology or like they call it IT involved. And sometimes they have, you know, legacy systems from the eighties and a lot of spaghetti code. So it's like very, very hard to insert a change, especially if it's UBI. And then you have, uh, marketing and sales and compliance and, and channel conflicts and some, you know, cultural, cultural challenges. So at the end of the day, creating a product for an insurance company could be like a CEO kind of problem or like EVP of PNC kind of problem. And, and it's like very hard. Okay. So you, you need to decide where you put your bets. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, in many cases, it makes sense to, create the best of breed car insurance product that will lower the loss ratio in 1% or home insurance or SMB insurance rather than create meaningful innovation in motorcycles or uh, light aircraft or other, other things that are, you know, I would say like considered niche. Right. Now for, from a startup perspective, it's actually the other way around. You know, it's an opportunity to create. It's not that the segment is underserved. The customer at the end of the day is underserved. So if you create a product that is like much better for the customer, then everything now works, you know, perfectly. You know, the unit economics works. Customers are talking about your product because it's meaningful innovation. It's the first time that people really care about them. And it's not only like an accommodation product. Um, You know, Peter Thiel once said competition is for losers. So you, you are able to, to provide something that is like meaningfully better, uh, for the customers in, uh, in a low competition and still the opportunity is very big because everything in insurance is big. Even like the smaller niche is a multi-billion dollar niche. And especially when you combine all of these niches together. Right. And, and like, I think that this is something that the 1.0 
insure techs struggled with. If you're going to fight the, if you're going to compete with the incumbents on their playing field, I don't know that that's a winning for, I don't think that's been a winning formula, right? This is no knock on anybody. It's just that's to think that just because they're old and they have systems from the eighties, that they're not entrenched and tough competitors, I think was um, maybe a missed perception in 1.0. What you're talking about is a 2.0 perspective. Would you agree with that? Yes. You know, this, you know, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to create usage-based insurance products. That's one thing. And two, in, in markets where there is no UBI. Okay, so we're trying to... <laughs> create, you know, real differentiation, you know, meaningful value for the customer. You know, there is like a famous saying, you know, if you want to beat Gary Kasparov, then, you know, don't play chess with them, play basketball. So (laughs) it's the same thing. Uh huh. Yeah. That's very well said. Go to an area, go to a playing field where they're not playing. Um, Yeah. Or or, or they are playing, but not in the, and, and they could even play much smarter, but you know, just like, doesn't make sense from an ROI perspective for Correct. for large income. Right. It doesn't move the needle for them. It, yeah, even like a three billion dollar or five billion dollar market doesn't make sense for them to. It makes sense to compete, but not with the UBI product. And and again, you know, from from a, from an underwriting perspective, we're not smarter than than the actuaries. Okay, they're like already like decades of data, and you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions, of losses that they learn from, right? That's right. Um, now, you know, Newton once said, the only reason that they saw further than others is because I was standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. So all of this data is like almost publicly available because it's like filed. You can learn from this as a baseline and all of the dozens of rating factors we're using as well. Okay, your, your zip code and type of motorcycle uh, and, and background and, and, and age, we use it. But we also use other data points that others are blind to. Specifically in this case, mileage, but in other cases, we use other data points such as telematics. Um, so it's not that we're like better actuaries, it's just that we have more a better data set to learn from. Let's talk about data for a few minutes. What's your advantage, you know, without getting into the secret sauce, what's your advantage from a data perspective? Like you said, you have incumbents out there who have, you know, tens of thousands of losses, decades of information, understanding that sometimes they might not want to, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Going down the road of making a very specific product might not give them the ROI that they're looking for. But where's your data advantage? How have you grown that and gone about that? Yeah. Okay. So I'm like a product kind of person. Okay. So in, in product, you really think about things that are, you know, try to focus on the things that are important. So specifically in model cycles, we try to understand like, what's the single data source that others do not have and could be critical on the loss ratio. And after a lot of actual research, we found out that, you know, mileage by far is like exposure is something that 
it creates huge differentiation in, in the risk could be like, you know, 500% between like the lowest tier category and the highest tier category that others are not taking into account. Now, it's not that they are not taking it into account because they think it's not important. Just <laughs> They just don't take it into account because there is no easy way to collect it. Because in order to collect it or in order to rate accordingly, you need to make so many changes in your system that it doesn't force it. Or actually, like in many cases, you already, you know, you're already entrenched uh, in the market, so you don't want to cannibalize your book. Okay, so there is like another uh, aspect, especially with leading insurance companies, that they, sometimes they prefer not to create fairness for the customers because they understand that only like some customers will stay with them and others will just leave. So, you know, we, we take advantage of, of, of that and we say, okay, so mileage is critical. Let's have this data point that others do not have. And how do you gather the mileage data? Is there telematics? Do you have a device that, that helps you with that? Or what, where's the reporting come from? So that, that's, that's very interesting because like, you know, before launching the product, you could imagine that we talked with, you know, hundreds, if not, you know, thousands of motorcyclists. And all of them are thinking they are overpaying for insurance. But, but actually, like most of them don't want to be trapped. Okay. So like uh, motorcycles are like connected to your, like your freedom mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They, they prefer not to be trapped, but yeah. mileage, it's not a problem. Okay. I will tell you my, my mileage anytime. So we decided, you know, to collect only the mileage and not like other telematics uh, data. And we do it simply by a picture of the odometer. So each and every building cycle, we're sending a text message to the rider with a link, they press on the link, it opens their camera and they take, you know, a simple ah. picture, we get it. And this way we know how much they ride. Eventually, you know, just like a little secret, motorcycles are going to become connected from the get-go. Okay. So sure. this interface of, you know, taking a picture of the odometer, it's like not the core of the product. The core of the product is the, you know, the go-to-market, the market education about paper mile, the core policy administration system that knows how to rate uh, by the mile and bill by the mile. And then, you know, okay, one interface is taking a picture of the odometer in a few years' time, and maybe actually now with a few uh, partnerships that we are considering, it could be just, you know, from the connectivity of the motorcycle. You know, some motorcycles are, you know, already have like a mobile app and you have all of the data there. So tell me this. Looking back over six years of running an insurance company, I know you're an MGA, but to most of your customers, you're an insurance, you you appear to be an insurance company. Share some of the things that you've either been surprised by or that you've learned that you didn't realize, like we were talking about being naive, when you go in and become a startup and, and you make that leap forward, share some of the wisdom that you've gained six years in. That's, a, I mean, that's a long time in our business in the insure tech world. Six years is like an incumbent. Share some wisdom. So obviously we learned so much because we knew so little. <laughs> so yeah. again, as, as, well as said. I said, like six, <laughs> six years ago, I didn't know what's the difference between an actuary and an underwriter. And now we, we understood so much, so many things about uh, the industry. So I think, that, you know, one thing that we realized and luckily for us quite quickly that we are giving a lot of credit to insurance companies and we're seeing them as partners rather than, you know, competitors. And we need to understand, you know, what's our 
you know, unique value proposition. What are the things that we can do for the world that others will struggle with? And for us as a startup, it's, it's technology and agility. You know, our strategy, you know, really formed over time. As you know, we started only with drones. Okay. So we started only with commercial drones as an emerging technology. And eventually we became probably the largest commercial drone insurance provider in North America. Wow. But then our strategy evolved and we tried to under, to think to ourselves, okay, what, what other fields are there where, you know, data is important. Traditional insurance companies will, would, would struggle to innovate. And then we went and said, okay, the entire like mobility ecosystem as a whole is moving rapidly. And maybe, you know, the mobility ecosystem is moving much faster than insurance. Okay. So that's, you know, let's create like an entire company and create multiple product, multiple success stories. Like we have insurance that have a lot of synergies between them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe like opening brackets about like the, the mobility ecosystem as a whole, because we think that there are a lot of interesting opportunities over there. So we see three major trends in, in mobility for the time being. So one is new platforms such as, uh, again, drones or e-scooters, maybe autonomous cars that need to be insured in one way or another. The second one is increased connectivity that allows for better underwriting, like, like we do with, with motorcycles, or embedded insurance or both. And the third one is new types of utilization. So not only car ownership, but also culture, rideshare, deliveries, and many other forms of utilization. So all of these shifts are creating, you know, basically, you know, uh, breaking the traditional model of like only car, only ownership, only not connected. And there are like so many opportunities for new products or like just creating like the next generation of, of existing insurance products. Uh, this, is, this is like the area that we think that we have a strategic advantage in. And we built internally a platform that allows us for this product innovation at the end of the day for the benefit of the customer. So you can plug in as these things mature and, and gain wider acceptance in the market or succeed or fail, your platform supports uh, rapid integration uh, and, 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 and optimization within, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. So and where do you see, yeah, yeah, go, please go on. Another thing that, you know, we learned about the industry is, you know, how important it is to, you know, to move fast and, you know, try, try things fast. And, you know, if they fail, you know, change. So, you know, one of the products that we looked at back in the day were, was like e-scooters. And this is like an area, you know, again, like an emerging area, a new risk. And we, you know, really looked at, you know, what can a company like us do in this kind of, uh, of field, either to sell, you know, e-scooter insurance to, to private owners or to work with uh, the birds and lions of the world in order to offer embedded insurance through them. And eventually as a nascent market, we just saw that, you know, there is not, not enough regulation around that requires people to have insurance, not enough customer awareness. And we, we understood that, you know, maybe it's, you know, it wouldn't be wise to put all of our eggs in, in this basket. Okay. Uh, but 
with our ability to, to, to move fast and change fast and pivot fast, we, you know, we took the same like models that we created and focused on like the more established market, which is like motorcycles, ATVs, UTVs that, you know, is established today. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with the idea to, you know, eventually venture into like e-bikes, e-scooters as well in the future. So another, you know, it's like from the outside, everything, you know, looks like, you know, you go, you know, on the up and up, but, you know, internally, obviously you need to, um, do a lot of trial and error, but the key is to move fast and, and to learn, you know, as quickly as you can, uh, in order to, to improve and, and, and to find the right solutions. It's fascinating in the world of mobility, just walking down the streets okay yesterday uh or the day before i was walking with my son by a by a store and parked out front was a bird e-bike and it made me think gosh this space is changing so quickly right um i mean bird was the scooter the one of the first if not the first company out there and look what happened to scooters but but we but we've also seen different mobility platforms come and go already <laughs> in just in just a few years some succeed some don't i was in new york city recently and my son and i rented e-bikes off the city bike rack they have e-bikes and so it's a incredibly fast moving world mobility. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure that there's very smart people that are thinking about where's this going to be in 10 years? I mean, it's probably going to be crazy what what what's out there in 10 years. Do you have any thoughts on that? Where where's it where's it heading? It's not optimized. It's not done yet. So I think that it's clear that the way that people move from one place to another or deliver things from one place to another is going to have a tremendous change. And again, but it, it is true, not only for e-bikes, you know, it is true for platforms, it could, you know, it also could be like platforms in the air. It also could be again, like new types of utilization. So not only ownership, but you know, uh, robots or semi robots or like semi autonomous, you know, delivery vehicles, uh, um, or like, or, or just like, you know, taxes that move you from one place to another. So, this is not, you know, something that is going to, to, you know, to take place tomorrow. But, you know, over a decade, you will see more and more changes. And the mobility ecosystem of a decade from now would not look the same as it is today. There will be things that are, you know, sometimes like overhyped and will take time until they really uh, come into fruition. Uh, I think that, you know, it happened in scooters and also to some extent in drones where like uh the expectations were very very high in the beginning right and then you know over time you understood okay it will take time until it you know becomes like completely mainstream but now actually it just like grows okay it's like a real industry that grows over time and regulation opens and you're really going to see you know delivery with drones um and and urban air mobility you know moving people so the entire like, mobility ecosystem is, is going to change, you know, tremendously. Um, what exactly are going to be the things that, you know, we'll see like more adoption in first and what's later is like yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, I think that there is a lot of changes that are going to, to take place, especially in the trucking uh, uh, space. 
it's not an area that we operate in, but uh, I think that uh, this is like a, a very, very interesting area, um, not only from insurance perspective, but also, you know, in, in logistics and supply chain in general. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that it's a such a dynamic space, what can you share about your future at Zoom? What can you tease us with? So at Zoom, our core platform allows us to create an insurance product in terms of months instead of years. Right. All we need is to, and, and, and reason being, okay, it's not only the technology. We already have like the relationship with, you know, a panel of insurance carriers and we know how to go to market in a new uh, segment. So it's, it's not only that, you know, we have the policy administration system that, you know, can, could theoretically create like a new product. Um, and now it's actually, and, and it's not easy. We need to think internally where we put our resources. Is it on the growth of existing product or actually like on the R&D of new opportunities? Because there are, you know, many opportunities that we're seeing all the time, either from things that we see strategically or from customers or partners that come up with their idea for, you know, for a new segment that, that the company like ours can do. But again, in the broad perspective, I think that everything mobility is relevant, especially things that are high risk and episodic usage where like data can really help in pricing it. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, not places that many others are already doing. Okay. So mm-hmm. you want, you want see us do like another, you know, UBI for personal oil. When you're surfing, you want to find a spot that has fewer surfers because then you get more waves. And so uh, that's what you're talking about. But it's interesting to hear, and it's always interesting to to talk to a company like yours who has some history now and as an MGA to hear about how the startup is maturing, right? Because that's one of the, one of the things that I was hearing today was, I mean, this six-year journey has got, has brought you to this level of understanding and know-how to create a, an insurance company, right? And you're asking yourself the questions that businesses ask themselves when they've succeeded over time. Uh, not, you know, where do we start? But rather, how do we maintain this growth trajectory into the future? And well, maybe another thing that, you know, we learned along the way and they think, you know, it's, it's related to insurance, but related to, you know, running a business in general, we're trying to build here the business as room, not in order to prepare for the next round of funding. We're trying to create a foundation together with a really amazing team, Ori, my co-founder and, and uh, you know, Tyler, Amir, Lior, you know, our, you know, leadership that can really create, you know, a profitable business over time and to create meaningful value for the customer. So we, you know, are already uh, quite a long while in the market and we move strategically in a way, we go fast, but we do it, you know, with, uh, with good unit economics, with a healthy, you know, growth, very healthy loss ratio, uh, because, you know, we, we, we don't, only see, you know, that the next, uh, in a year or two from now, we really want to see, create like a, a long-term business here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do it. It's been 
wonderful and a pleasure to have you. It's great to to get not only the update on Voom, but also to meet you and to hear your perspective uh, from the CEO seat. I hope to come to Israel soon and meet you. I just so our audience knows, I got an invite for coffee. You are you are invited. You know, for me, you know, it was a great honor and pleasure to be a part of this uh, uh, podcast. As I told you, Rob, just before, and uh, uh, you know, you are one of the OGs of InsureTech <laughs> podcasting uh, way before it was I, cool. I can't get over uh, and, and I listened to so many ep- episodes, you know, on like X2 playback speed, but yeah. I didn't listen to a lot of them. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's a great pleasure to be here. Well, thank you very much. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. You know, it's interesting to have on two different leaders from the same company giving their perspectives. And like uh, Tomer said, it's been two years plus since we've had on his co-founder, Ori Blumenthal. And um, it's wonderful, wonderful to hear about their growth and their maturity and, um, the, and the anchor that they've been able to put down to secure their spot uh, in this business. Uh, very interesting, very aggressive, very smart. We talked offline afterwards, after our interview, about some specific product ideas that are just incredible. And it's cool to watch and cool to be a part of. And we thank we thank both of them, but mostly uh, Tomer for making himself available and um, giving us a beautiful view that we had um, on the video of the city of Tel Aviv. And we thank all you for being here. Thanks to our production staff, Al and Alicia. And until next time, goodbye, everybody.